Hello, and welcome to Political Traction. I'm your host, Amanda Galbraith. When it comes to public opinion research, trust is one of the most interesting barometers around. It's not about approval ratings or voting intention, but something more profound. During this pandemic, Canadians have taken a long, hard look at the politicians and institutions that we trust to lead us. According to my colleagues, who are expert pollsters at the newly launched Discover by Navigator, they didn't like what they saw. Trust in many elected leaders, from the Prime Minister on down to the Premiers, has collapsed. Today I'm joined by my colleagues, Tasha Carradin, who's a known political strategist, and Ann Kilpatrick, who leads Discover. We talk about a new poll that measures how much the pandemic has changed Canadians' view on who they trust and how much. This is Political Traction. Okay, thank you both so much for joining me on the podcast. Uh, it is super pumped. We've had one other episode where I've had two female colleagues on, so I always love to have like an old lady's political traction episode. Uh, as mentioned in the intro, um, Navigator has launched uh, sort of, well, relaunched a, a service we've already offered with a lot of new exciting bells and whistles called Discover. And part of that is we have a survey out today um, around trust. Uh, and now, it's a bit different than what we typically see measured for politicians. And, you know, it's like that's vote intention. So first question to you, Anne, um, you measured trust, trust progression. What does that mean? So trust progression is really we t- took a look at the relative increase and decrease of Canadians trust in certain institutions and organizations since the pandemic began. So essentially, we took the proportion of people who said that they trust an institution or a group or a politician less uh, and minus that score from those who trust them more. So we came up with an index, a trust uh, index essentially, which really gives us a sense of the intensity with which trust is eroding because you're also taking into account those people who do have trust uh, versus those who don't. Trust in Canadian political leaders, with the one notable exception who we covered exclusively <laughs> on last week's podcast, the Premier of Quebec, Premier Legault, yeah. um, uh, has eroded, like just cratered. Uh, yeah. You know, are we surprised by that? Well, I think, you know, there, there's something that happens during a crisis, which is it's a sociological term. It's called rallying around the flag. People during real crisis tend to rally around politicians and institutions because they look to them for strength. But now we're past the rallying stage, if you will. So I think we're beginning to see that erosion because so much is changing. It's changing so quickly. And Canadians are looking for stability, but they're not finding stability. And they're certainly not finding it in their politicians right now. Tasha, are you surprised that uh, trust is eroded in politicians? I can say I'm honestly not, um, but I, I was surprised to the degree to which actually there was one politician that surprised me that we'll get into. Um, but are you ah. generally that they're that the people trust politicians less after this last year? Um, no, I'm not. Um, to Anne's point, the instability, the constantly shifting goalposts, the constantly shifting information, particularly on vaccines, the sense of, uh, you know, one, two steps forward, one step back. That I think is what people are frustrated with and they're taking it out on their leaders. 
And I think justifiably so in some cases, you look at, um, for example, Jason Kenney, who's got the absolute worst score, like it's minus 41 <laughs> on our index. I mean, that's the, you know, he's, he's dropped that much in terms of trust. You look at what's happening in Alberta, it's understandable. You know, um, Albertans are facing higher numbers even than Ontario per capita. And so this, I think it does relate to the experience people are living and the sense that politicians don't have a handle on things the way they should. The big winners in trust, uh, you know, and we'll dig deeper into the political side in a bit, um, were doctors and healthcare professionals up 38 and 34% positive. Um, do we think, I'm going to go to you first, Tasha, but I want both your opinions on this. Is this why politicians have been largely, you know, when they disagree with, because we've seen incidents, right, where, where healthcare, like public medical officers of health come out and close schools ahead of politicians. Is that why politicians are afraid to take them on now and is sort of saying, you know what, whatever the doctors say, because people just blindly trust them? I think politicians are realizing that uh, they always want to hitch their wagon to a star, so to speak, but I think they're realizing that they um, need to listen to the science because the, politi the politicization of the pandemic has not worked. Um, paying attention to the groups that vote for you and, you know, making decisions based on that does not lead to good outcomes. So I think that they've tried plan A. Now they're saying plan B, maybe listening to the doctors is a better idea. And I see you nodding. Well, it's interesting because, you know, anytime we've measured uh, favorability for physicians, for nurses, it's been exceptionally high. And I think for, for Canadians, that's the touch point. That's who I trust when I'm in trouble, when my health is at risk. And so politicians contrast that. <laughs> what do I go to my politicians for? Well, yes, I go to them for <laughs> something, but it isn't necessarily that's actually a great that point. trusted health, <laughs> health needs. So I yeah, think no, that's, that's a that's a great point. Um, one of the other big the other big winner was small and medium enterprises. So it's kind of small business, which we've seen sort of lionized throughout this pandemic. And also, I think, unreasonably hurt sometimes. Um, and some people think arbitrarily hurt. Uh, do we think this will translate once? I know some areas of the country are more open than others. But here in in lockdown hell, Ontario, um, if some businesses have not been open for 200 plus days. Um, do we think that's going to translate once we reopen, let's say later summer, fall fully, people are going to vote with their feet, which means they're going to seek out small businesses. And I, I see you nodding. Yes. So you think that's going to be a result of this? 100%. I think we've heard, you know, we, we hear when we do focus groups and, and interviews that one of the things that came out of this pandemic was big business did well by it. And you contrast mm -hmm. that with the smaller businesses and people want their locals to be there. And so they're going to run out and do as much as they can. And you just look at the local restaurants that people are, are supporting. They're trying as as much as they can to support them through this, this craziness. Yeah, like myself, one of the things I've tried to do more, just like I tip much more generously than I, I mean, I wasn't like a miser before, but I feel like there's a small thing that I can do to contribute. But I'd be interested to, so contrasting that with larger business and corporations, which is down 18%. And in particular, it's, it's down 21% for Gen Z, 19 for millennials. Um, now, Tasha, in your work with the CC, CCPC, which is the Canadian Center for the Purpose of the Corporation, which really looks at how companies can be more values driven and, and kind of tap into that. So we see the public thinks that big business did well. Um, younger generations who are going to be the big spenders trust them less than before, and there's more trust in small businesses. So how do you think corporations, big business should position themselves as we start to reopen um, to kind of 
I guess maybe recover the reputation or or make more broader appeal to that that generation that frankly is is disenfranchised with them. Well, the research um, that Discover and Anne's group have done actually dovetails with research the CCPC did as well about how people feel about big business versus medium and small. And there's already that there was a disconnect even in the midst of the pandemic six months ago, we did this research. I think what it shows is that big business is not trusted from what we have found because they are not aligned with values. And that is smaller businesses are seen as more values driven in many cases. They're more connected often to their local community. People have an ident- sense that they are there for more than the profit motive. Big business is catching on to this. The sense that you know social issues, um, larger concerns, stakeholder engagement is something that they have neglected for a long time. They have been running solely on the profit and shareholder motive, um, and they are starting to change. And one of the things we do is advise them on how to move to a place where they can respond to stakeholders, especially younger people, younger stakeholders, the, the millennials, the Gen Zs you mentioned in particular, they are looking for companies that have values. And you're seeing that response, the Facebook boycott, Black Lives Matter, companies are starting to realize they got to pronounce themselves on these issues and larger corporations are making that pivot. So that's, I think, how they can regain trust to be seen, to be engaged and be beyond uh, simply the bottom line, which is, of course, of incredible importance, but is not the only metric anymore. I just want to note that I'm a cusp millennial and Tasha just called me a young person. So I... (laughs) I am. I'm thrilled. Thank you. Thank you for that. Maybe it's the filter. You look great. I don't know. It's it's because I'm in a basement window. Um, All right. And one, okay. Well, one more winner. And then I want to get into the big losers, which is going to be a bit more fun. Um, But this was a surprise to me. So you guys tested and for your employer and that's up by 15%, notably 26% for Gen Z, which are like, God bless them, but are infamous for, you know, where's my corporate credit card? Like all the, you know, all the memes that you see about this stuff. So what do we make of that? First of all, it was heartening to see because this has been such a a challenging time and employers have struggled to respond and respond quickly and effectively. I think what Gen Z is, is saying is, and because they are looking for flexibility and they are looking for uh, employers to pivot with them in terms of their values and expectations, employers did pretty well during this process. They, they, they really stood up to the crisis and knew that they had to be very flexible in their response to, to uh, their employees. So I think in particular, Gen Z appreciated that. I think in some respects, they saw their employers as quite um, staid and, and, and unable to respond. And here it was, the perfect example of how they did respond effectively. So I think they, they credit their employers as a result. I mean, personally here at, at like Navigator, like it's been amazing. Like what mm-hmm. we've, you know, how generous and kind, like truly, like it's always been a generous and kind company, but uh, like the support, I think we've all, and like just even the accommodation for individuals. I know that to me, I always know like Navigator role does not what the rest of the universe <laughs> gets. Um, <laughs> but Tasha, were you surprised? Were you surprised by this result? I, I too was like, I was surprised and kind of heartened and sort of, I felt like, okay, at least one place people feel a little bit better. Well, I think also because of the other losses of trust, I mean, who are you going to trust? Who's there for you? Politicians aren't there for you. Um, the sense is big businesses perhaps are not there for you. Um, employers that are, that are treating their employees well at a time of crisis will reap even greater benefits than usual because everyone else is letting them down. So I think that also is a, is a big piece. 
And I think employers should uh, should realize that, you know, this the motivated, happy workforce is incredibly important, especially at a time when, you know, we're living in a gig economy, people move around a lot, lots of job changes, people have options. And so retaining your workforce, it, that relationship is critical. And I think even more so now people are going to wake up to that. What's interesting about this, this pandemic is we really are all in this together. So employers were experiencing it as, at the same mm. time as their employees were. And so they, they were living it. And so they appreciated what was going on and could really respond as a result of that, because I understand what I, what's happening to me. So I'm going to make sure I take care of you as well. Um, so now the fun bit, uh, the losers or whatever, the yeah. people trust less, uh, this, I will, I mean, there's the obvious ones. We've talked about the provincial premiers, which we can um, get into in a second, but I want to really get to the, the big shock for me, uh, which was, and I, I have a theory, which I want to ask about, but I'll just give you the, the details first, dear listeners. Um, the PM's trust mm-hmm. is down by 25%. Um, and in particular, that's 33% for Gen X, 29% for boomers and 26% for the silent generation, which people probably even forget that the silent generation exists because they're silent, but they are there and uh, they are, you know, they're a voter block, right? Um, in particular, this is really where to me, the rubber hits the road, um, down 20% in Ontario, 14% in Quebec and 35 in BC. Now it's 43% in Alberta, which isn't going to surprise anybody, but like Ontario, Quebec, BC are all critical voting areas for them we know they're likely we're going to be in an election sometime in the fall all systems point to that we don't know but all like i would bet my maybe not my house but you know like my nice pair of shoes my nicest pair of shoes i would bet on that um should he be worried uh, actually first and were you i i have the theory is that his trust was so hot like he really was doing well particularly with certain yeah. blocks that like this drop isn't huge like isn't like as significant as say like a ford but it's still a big deal like he has taken on water were you surprised by this, Anne? Um, actually, I was surprised by this. I, I, you know, in contrast to the premiers who are dealing with the day-to-day rollout of the, the vaccines, Trudeau has not specifically had to deal with that. Um, obviously, supply issues, yes. But um, so I was surprised by this. I think what we're hearing in response is we're, there are many things that are coming out of this pandemic that are still not being addressed. And things like fear of pocketbook, fear of you know, uh, the incidence of, of small businesses going down. Um, these are more macro issues that affect the everyday lives of Canadians. And I think this is beginning to wear now. The, the talk about inflation, the fact that it's costing me more when I go into the grocery store to get things, I think there's a general uh, wave that's now appearing, which may be counter and it's economic more so than it's pandemic because we know the vaccines are coming in. This is great. But now we get back to living and uh, Trudeau's got to cope with that. And I think it's beginning to wear. I wish that was true. Um, (laughs) I I actually am not so sure. And I'll tell you why. (laughs) Um, Because when I looked, I dug down some of the other numbers that you found. And and what I noted was the trust erosion was greatest with no surprise, CPC conservative voters dropped 59%. NDP, and this is where he has to be worried, dropped 30%. NDPs can be switchers to the liberals. Tories, not so much. Um, But then among liberal voters, it went up 28%. 
So when I look at the number breakdown, yeah, you see a, a erosion in Ontario very seems very significant, but who is it eroding with? It's eroding with people who were probably not voting for him to begin with. He, the worry for him, I think, is the erosion with the switch voter. That's what we, you know, it's impossible to know exactly who in there would be. But like I said, the NDP is generally speaking more of a market for him. So I think that's the number he should look at. And, and the left-leaning voter, how is that going? Because the conservatives, I think, on issues like the border, on issues of the vaccine, they've been tearing them apart. And it's no surprise that their numbers have dropped precipitously. Dan, you want to get in there? Yeah, I, so so I think I think you're right in terms of his, his core base, but we've got a significant group uh, who are still undecided. And amongst mm. that group, uh, we're seeing a decline in trust. So he's got to keep an eye on that undecided voter group right now. Yeah, definitely too. And one of the things that I thought perhaps is like, because provincial premiers are down 15% on average. Um, although interestingly, that skews mostly towards younger. So Gen Z millennials, which probably isn't surprising. Um, I thought, okay, maybe it's just people are pissed at politicians generally. Like it's just, you know, pox on all their houses. I don't like you, prime minister. I don't like you, premier. Like I want you gone. But that doesn't drive because in Quebec, Premier Legault is up 23% on trust, which well, is it's not it's not their third wave amanda and i've been talking because i yeah, no. you know i work i work with the navigator office in quebec quite a bit and they're telling me how great things are and sort of mocking me here in, in toronto um but uh quebec has done much better in the third wave and overall yeah, there were moments when quebec really was was in the dumps and not doing well but overall um the uh, the performance has been better on the ground and I think Quebec also starts from a different place. There's a lot more faith in government generally. Um, and uh, Quebecers tend to have more faith in institutions, in the state. So they're more apt to trust to begin with. And I think that Legault benefited from that as well. Yeah, well, we actually did like, literally an entire podcast last week just about Legault's performance and with the Quebec team because to me it was so striking. But I think yeah. it just shows that, like I kind of went into this believing like, you know, Politicians are shutting down businesses. They're telling people no all the time. Like, there's no like, there's no way out. Like, they're all going to lose, right? There's there's no real fundamental way out. It's except for maybe Atlantic Canada, obviously. If if unless you like shut stuff down and were able to Australia and New Zealand it, but to me, Legault shows that and understanding there's a difference in like to your point culturally in Quebec, there was a path for politicians to take that could have actually resulted in them not taking on the water that we've seen Premier Ford, you know, Kenny even in BC to a certain extent, Manitoba, um, if they'd chosen that path, but they did not. Um, to me, that is significant. Um, and I saw you nodding there. Yeah, so it, there were two interesting points about Legault's position. He started highest mid-pandemic. He had incredibly high favorability ratings during the, the sort of mid-level of the, the curve of the pandemic. So he had further to fall, if you will, or he had an advantage. He, he came in, he was only a year in power. So everybody didn't say, oh, it's all your fault, everything that happened in long-term care. And he stood up, he talked about, you know, I do take responsibility. So I think that went a long way to, to further his position in the province. Um, he's been honest and well, he certainly expressed his regret for, for what's happened. And I think that resonated a lot. Uh... So Tasha, um, take out your crystal ball, uh, take a look at these numbers, uh, particularly for 
um, the PM for the premiers, what do you think they're going to be doing over the next six months to address this trust issue? Well, I think federally we're going to be in an election. So I think that the stakes were laid there by the federal government. They, um, in their budget, uh, they're going to try and spend their way out of the problem and convince Canadians that, you know, that give us a chance, everything will be great. Um, so we know what they're, what they're laying down. I think the other politicians, I think have to really do some, some soul searching about the measures and who they listen to, to our point earlier about doctors and what, what they did. Um, I think the biggest lesson for all is, is that, uh, for Ford anyways, flip-flopping does not help you for Kenny ignoring the science does not help you. Um, I haven't been following the situation in BC as closely. I will, I will confess. Um, but when they look to Legault, for example, I think that they can, to Anne's point, take a leaf from his playbook of admit when you're wrong, um, but act to fix it, stand up and be that, you know, paterfamilias type figure, because people, people are looking for someone to trust. I think that's the key. I think politicians should realize people are looking for someone to trust. If you give them something worth trusting, they will. But if you let them down, they will not forgive you. Wise words. I agree with you on that. Um, now, I want to get to the rapid fire. Before we do that, I just wanted to ask, and part of this research actually is being released because we've launched a new sort of, ser- well, a service we already do, but a new kind of elements to it. And uh, Navigator, Jamie Watt, our chairman, found a Navigator over 20 years ago. And one of his big pieces was its research lab, right? He was a researcher. Um, we've been doing research for over 20 years, uh, but we launched Discover this week. And what's different about Discover? So, you know, Amanda, we're very fortunate and very excited about this opportunity to, to launch the brand uh, and really to, to bring it uh, out of the, the darkness, if you will. Um, we've, we've been working with, within Navigator for 20 years. So research is a core competency of the organization. But as a standalone brand, we really get the opportunity to manage our own research-focused engagements And um, because the world is changing so much, it's more important uh, than ever really for organizations to understand and address all the stakeholders uh, and understand the best approach to earning their support. So our focus is really about the the cross-section of stakeholders in the marketplace that our clients and organizations have to be aware of. Uh, we've always gone far beyond public opinion uh, research to shed light on those, those broader stakeholder groups. Um, so in launching the brand, we can better communicate this range of work and ensure that our research offering is better understood as more than just a public opinion poll, uh, polling firm. Um, not that public opinion polling isn't critical, it is. Uh, But to make really sound strategic decisions, you need input from those other stakeholders. Every group from uh, Indigenous communities to uh, board members to members of uh, associations to uh, a variety of other stakeholders. Corporations, organizations need to listen to those different voices uh, to better be able to make good sound strategic decisions. Okay, uh, we are running uh, long on time. So I'm gonna move to rapid fire, uh, which I confess again, just let these ladies know about about five minutes before we started recording. So here we go. <laughs> uh, first one, um, Ellen. Ellen has announced after 19 years in her seat, she's she's stopping her show. Are we sad, surprised, Tasha? 
Do we care? Treat your employees better. There's the message there. I know she says it's not the reason, but it's a big coincidence that she had a toxic workplace issue and now she's wrapping things up. So that's my takeaway. I was actually surprised like the statement was like, it's no longer a challenge. I'm like, is that what, like, I think you should just, anyway, I'm sure she has a whole year to do a tour of like Oprah giving away cars and stuff, which I'm sure will be happening. Um, and then she can like, you know, Scrooge McDuck and roll around on her bajillions. So uh, I, don't, I don't feel, I don't Maybe feel that Maybe you can bad. take her slot. Amanda, there's an opening, take her slot. Kelly Clarkson's apparently already on. I've never actually seen that uh, show, but I guess she's already got same viewership. So she's on the next, but. Yes, one day. Am I with all my other all the other things? You could do it too, Tosh. Obviously, um, <laughs> we we had we've had big news this week about AstraZeneca and that Ontario is positive for first doses. Um, other provinces have begun to follow. What do you what do you make of that? <laughs> I don't even know, Tasha. What, what's your thoughts? What really quickly? It's exactly our whole conversation. The flip flopping is what yeah. freaks people out. And now they're saying if you get an AstraZeneca dose and a Pfizer dose, uh, you'll have more side effects than if you just get two doses of the same vaccine. I mean. Talk about vaccine hesitancy. Like that's a problem, and this is feeding it. But I think at the same time, yeah, uh, I uh... the way AstraZeneca means that people are going to have less hesitancy. It, it was the thing that people were afraid of, and now if they can get the other vaccines, they're going to go forward with that. The issue is those who have already had the vaccine. Yeah. Jeez, what do you do now? Um, it's okay. Peter yeah, I will. Said he's he's going to take a second Astra. Right? Yeah, well, the interesting thing is all of our political leaders have all had AstraZeneca. So yeah. if, uh, if if there's a... But I will say my um, my family, close family of mine, got it, um, a lot of them. And um, I'm very convinced to save their lives because they also uh, got COVID right after their... after their, Like a couple months after their first shot. So um, they had mild symptoms as opposed to what would have happened. So I, I am a fan of the AZ, but I do understand, you know, three people have died. So... It's, you know, but I, I, I agree with you, Tasha, though, the mixed messaging and the way that was delivered, particularly in Ontario, four o'clock with Dr. Yeah. Williams, who, God bless him, is not the clearest communicator in the world. I mean, there's other ways to do that. Definitely. But anyway, here we sit with our in our uh, backseat drivers. <laughs> backseat <laughs> drivers. There you go. Backseat <laughs> drivers. There we go. All right. Last one. Um, Post-COVID travel. Uh, so in theory, maybe, maybe we can go someplace come fall. Where are you going to go? Ah, uh, where am I? I'm actually going to Victoria for a speech I'm supposed to give there. So technically, I, I know I'm going um, unless COVID shuts things down. So that'll be my first trip in October, I think. Hey. And then I wish I'd bought a cruise or something ahead of time, though. They were, they were giving them away just a few yeah. months ago, but I was too chicken. So, and Tofino, book. Oh, really? Yes. Thank you guys. Both these <laughs> there. <laughs> so I booked, um, I booked Hamilton. So my, I was supposed to That's take my glamorous. sister. Yeah, wow. for her thirty, for her thirty, not, not Ontario, the musical. Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> we were wondering. Uh, yeah. No, it, that's glamorous. I'm like, hey, now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, my sister and I, my sister turned thirty-five, like, like last last March, and we, we were everything was booked. I was going to surprise her with a trip to New York, and then COVID happened, so we canceled everything. So when the tickets went on sale, I booked right away, end of September, thinking like we'll be good to go now all of a sudden we're into hashtag one dose summer and i'm just like what is this crap <laughs> and i have to crawl across the u.s border and like camouflage and scrim or whatever that this stuff is that you, the military calls i will be doing so in order to get there i have to i have to travel i want pictures <laughs> there you go um 
All right. Well, thank you both so much for this. Uh, and again, and congratulations on the launch of Discover. Uh, we are very excited to see all the things that will be coming forward from it, including, I know, more polling. Um, and uh, we will continue to talk about it on this uh, podcast. So thank you both, ladies. Have a wonderful weekend. You too. Thanks, Thanks Amanda. Uh, Bye, Anne. Bye-bye. Political Traction is powered by Navigator, Canada's leading high-stakes public affairs firm. Our show is produced by John Gardner, Simon Bredden, Kimberly Drapak, Hunter Nifton, Nico Waltenbury, and Carolyn Spoken. A very special thank you goes out to this week's guests, Tasha Carradine and Ann Kilpatrick. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate us online wherever you find your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter, at TractionPolly. I'm your host, Amanda Galbraith. We'll see you next Friday.